please uh, to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we're going to read a couple of verses together. And uh, thank you so much, Paul, for the message you gave us. And, um, and thank you guys for just being able to share with you this morning. <clears throat> it was about 1990 in a setup very similar to this. I don't know how many of you remember the leadership times we had at Drack Gardens. And in about 1990, Dudley preached a message. Hudson and I had been leading a church for about three years. And he spoke about leaders that fall from ministry. He spoke about pastors that give up. And he used these little three phrases. He used leaders that get bailed out, bowled out, or bow out. And at the time, it didn't mean a huge amount to me. I didn't anticipate that that would happen, probably in my life, actually. But I just remembered those little phrases that, in this context, we can fall from ministry. We can get bowled out. We can get bailed out. And sometimes we just bow out. And I think sometimes, sometimes we just fall out of ministry, guys. For some of us, it's as a married couple, one of us falls out. One of us is still in and doing it, but sometimes our spouses bowed out, bowed out. And I think sometimes we're doing it on the outside, but on the inside, we've fallen from ministry. And given up. And so, I want to read these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 1. And it says, When all these blessings, and just underline the word when, because it doesn't say if, it says when. When these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when... Not if. And when you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I have commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore you, your fortunes, and have compassion on you, and will gather you again from the nations where He scattered you. When this happens. And even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, very vivid, that, isn't it? From there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. And He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. And you will take possession of it. And He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors were. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit with us right now through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, that the full extent and the full weight of what you are wanting to say and do in every single person right now, Father, let that happen. And Lord, I just ask for 
the grace to bring your word in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's quite fun until yesterday afternoon. Granted, asked me to share this message, and I was doing really well, and then suddenly it hit me. And uh, I think just the weight of having lived through, or the memory of having lived through falling from ministry and, um, and seeing it happen to other people. And it's just like, you know what it's like when you've seen, you've seen it with your children when they're living below what you know they can be. And um, I think all of us will have come across couples who have lost that calling. And it just hit me so I can not promise you that this morning will not be messy. But friends, there are a number of reasons why we give up. And I think the obvious one is sin. Sometimes we are disqualified, and in this context, we are disqualified to lead because we sin. And forget the big five of sin, friends. There have been seasons in my life where I was qualified because of the sin of stupidity. Another reason we give up is that I think soul weariness. I was thinking to myself, Lord, what is it about ministry that gets weary? And I think it's the fact that ministry is always. It's the weariness of always. We are always leading. We are always on display. We are always needing to be in the front. We are always on duty. We are always trying to measure progress in something that by nature is invisible. There is an alwaysness to what you and I do. And so beautiful to hear Paul talking about how you fit in this rest within the work. We call it, friends, the work of ministry. People say to you, how's the work going? They don't say, how's church going? They say, how's the work going? And that little phrase that Jesus, or that's um, spoken of Jesus in John chapter 4, it says, Jesus, weary as he was from journey. I think sometimes we give up because of sin. Sometimes we give up because of soul weariness. Sometimes we give up, friends, because of the shadow. And we look behind us and we see failure. We look behind us and there is more to regret than celebrate. And we look behind us and we see more that is incomplete than what we finished. And because I want to say this, in order for there to be a shadow, there has to be a light. But it's when we stop seeing the light in front of us and focus on the shadow behind us, we give up. So I'd like to say four things about not giving up. I'd like to say four things. Grant said, can you speak on second chances? I think quite honestly it's more like 50, 50 second chances and 53rd chances than first and second. But number one, friends, is look carefully. You know that thing that happened when you felt God call you? 
it's still there. It's still there. It might be covered under the biggest pile of rubbish, but it's still there. And sometimes, or perhaps we, we've, we've lost it. Perhaps it's become really, really confused. I know for some of us, we're hoping it's still not there. Well, the fact is, friends, that call that God put inside you, it is still there. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Proverbs 25 has got this little verse that says this. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is the word of the Lord brought at the right time. It's the most beautiful picture, isn't it? And friends, that thing, that, I know it's a cliche, but that calling of God over your life was God customizing something precious for you. I got saved when I was 13, 1975, and I was at Maris Brothers at the time. And within a very short space of time, in fact, within six weeks of getting saved, I I genuinely felt called. I was within the Catholic Church. I got born again within the Catholic Church. And the only kind of expression of that calling I could get my head around was to become a, a brother or a priest. And so I started going for vocational guidance at the age of 13 with Brother Aquinas. Brother Aquinas was an old Irish priest, a Maris Brothers priest, and a um, really old guy. And uh, when he started mentoring me to go into the brotherhood, I didn't know that at Maris Brothers there was, a, there was a brother's chapel. There was the chapel that the whole school went to, but there was a brother's chapel. And he started taking me to the brother's chapel. And pl- please don't overread what I'm saying. But one day I was in the brother's chapel with a couple of guys, and I really had the sense of calling, and I was chatting to one of my mates. And Brother Aquinas stopped me and he said, that's not how you behave in the tabernacle of the Lord. You know what gripped me about that? was the sense of privilege that he had concerning the house of God. I'm not here to argue with Catholicism. That sense of reverence and privilege that he spoke about. It it undid me. And friends, for you and I, that God has called us is the most divine privilege. And no matter where you are, friends, it's still, it's still there. So when I read this verse from Deuteronomy, it says when this happens. Even if you find yourself in the most distant land under heaven, I will bring you back here. No, I will bring you back somewhere else. I will bring you back here. And there is this call of God over your life, and it drips over you with divine privilege. And it's still there. See, our calling, and your calling this morning, is not some random thought. It's not some last-minute thought of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance. Some versions say, before you were born, for you to walk in. Acts chapter 17, For He 
marked out the appoint he says he marked out your appointed times in history and the boundaries of your lands before you were born it's like god stuck together your calling no matter how you feel today no matter how you feel it's gone i promise you in god it's not gone it's there second thing i'd like to say is this friends is live vulnerably Ezekiel chapter 36, God speaks to a nation who have fallen from ministry. Quite literally, the whole Jewish nation had fallen from ministry. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. And I will take out of you the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. One of the things that happens, friends, when we give up is that we stop feeling. <coughs> Sorry. That was a bad one, eh? But Hans and I arrived in Peter Maritzburg 21st of January 1995 after having led a church. And we honestly arrived in Maritzburg completely broken. We, were, we had just survived not getting divorced. And about a year into being in Peter Maritzburg, Ray had a guy by the name of Eddie Trout. Some of you will remember him. A funny prophet guy. And um, he came and Haz and I, were, we sat in the front row just about there and it was a midweek meeting and we were very, very broken. And Ed Trout stopped and he said to you, he said to us, he said, I see you have a broken heart. He said, the devil doesn't break hearts. God does. The devil hardens hearts. Don't argue me the theology of that, but that's what happens. I've sat with guys, as many of us will have, who have, can I just use the term, fallen from ministry. And one of the things that comes out is that they no longer feel. One of the things that comes out is that, you know what? My heart is hard. And that's not exactly true. Because some of the most sensitive people I know are the people who have fallen from ministry. It's just the area that they are sensitive in has changed. And so I listen to people who have fallen and, and they say, I just don't feel it for the church. I, no, what they're saying is, I feel it for myself. I just don't feel it for anybody else. And what needs to happen is that the sensitivity needs to be redirected from here to here. Psalm 51, we know the story of David. But in Psalm 51, David repents, or that's his prayer of repentance. And one of the lines he praises, he prays, is, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Have you ever wondered why he doesn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation? He doesn't say that. He says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, when we fall, friends, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose the concern of everybody else's. 
when I've withdrawn, when I've retreated, when, I've, when the shadow has become bigger than the light, I've never ever doubted my salvation. I've just become very disinterested in the salvation of anyone else. And David prays this prayer. He says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I want to say that this morning, dear friends. Pray that prayer. Lord, give me again the joy. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But give me the joy of your salvation for everybody else. I know Psalm 45 is that wonderful psalm about the king bridegroom, the king bridegroom and the princess bride. And it begins with, uh, I write my, uh, my noble theme. He says, you are the fairest of the sons of men. When you speak, there is grace upon your lips. Gird your sword upon your thigh. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously. The first part of that psalm is all about the king. But halfway through, it changes to the bride. And it says, the king is enthralled. It's talking about the church. The king is enthralled by your beauty. It says, how beautiful, how glorious is the princess in her rooms. I don't think any of us stop seeing the wonder of the king. But we stop seeing, we stop seeing the beauty of his bride. Friends, let that sink. Get your heart again. Number three is repent properly. Sin is only a temporary setback. It is the unwillingness to repent that makes it permanent. There is no sin that the grace of God cannot forgive. And there is no calling that the grace of God cannot redeem. It's our unwillingness to repent properly, dear friends, that stops us moving forward. Let me say this, friends. There is a difference between forgiveness and restoration. There's a difference. I know many people who stand forgiven, but they don't stand restored. You see, we are forgiven by confessing our sin. But we are restored by repenting from it. And they're two different things. We confess our sins, and in a moment, the undeserved mercy and grace of God forgives us. We lift our heads. Straight away, we lift our heads. But restoration comes from walking the process of repentance. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, rather painful. However, those who yield to it Reap a harvest of righteous, sorry, later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace. Have you ever seen the link between repentance and harvest? When our repentance is incomplete, 
our harvest is incomplete. He says, later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have, those who have been trained by it. Greek word is naked. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Those who have been made naked by it. In this forum, friends, if we have sinned to the point where we are disqualified to lead publicly, we cannot repent privately. Say that again. In this context. If we have been disqualified to the point, sorry, if we have been disqualified to the point where we can no longer lead publicly, we, have, we cannot repent privately. If something's gone down, dear friends, if there is something that's beginning to disqualify us, it requires the, the journey with a father, not a friend. See what friends do. Friends comfort. Fathers correct. So if there's something going down, friends, if you're headed down that road, you can't go to somebody that's your peer in ecclesiastical authority. A deacon must go to an elder. An elder must go to the lead elder. A lead elder must go to somebody on Tyron's team, and I don't know who Tyron goes to. I didn't, can't work that, that far. But you get what I'm saying. We don't go to mates, friends. And it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing when you are wanting to walk out this process of repentance because I don't want to be naked. And a friend will hide your nakedness. But a father loves you too much to leave you that way. You must repent properly, friends. Remember in the book of Haggai it says this. The glory of the latter will exceed the glory of the former. And if we read that scripture from Deuteronomy, it says, I'm going to bring you back, and you will be more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors were. When you and I walk the process of repentance through properly, God always takes us to a better place. He never restores us to, to second price. I was thinking about that. The prodigal son. I mean, there's a picture of a guy who's fallen, right? He's in the pigsty, and he's rehearsing his little speech. He's, he says, when I, when I return home, I'm going to say this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he's rehearsing his little speech. Basically, he's saying, God, I'm not. just give me something. I just want to be back on the farm. I know I can't be a son. I know I just give me something. 
And when this calling begins to reignite inside of us for me, it's just, God, give me something. I'll do anything. I just want to be there. And he begins his speech. His father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. He's about to go on the butt. Like, just give me something. His father stops him right there. He never finishes his speech. He doesn't get to the part that says, just treat me as a servant. His dad stops him right there. Bring the rope, bring the ring, bring the shoes. Let's have a party. The glory of the latter. I want to say this over you, friends. The glory of the latter. In terms of your calling, will be greater than the glory of the former. Jesus painted another picture of latter and former. In Matthew chapter 12, he says this, When the unclean spirit leaves a person, it wanders through arid places trying to find rest and doesn't find any. And then it says to myself, I will return to the house that I left. And when it comes there, it finds the house, three things, unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. And then it goes, finds seven demons worse than itself, and comes back, and they occupy the house. And so, the last state is worse than the first. Do you get the contradiction between those two pictures? You see, it's possible for the glory of the latter to exceed the glory of the former, but it's also possible for the wickedness of the latter to exceed the wickedness of the former. Scary, isn't it? I looked at this first. And I think the key word for us as leaders is the little word unoccupied. Because I've seen guys sweep their house and get it clean. And I've seen guys put their stuff in order, but not let their hearts be occupied. Remember what Jesus said when he was 12 years old, when his parents were looking for him, he says, didn't you know I had to be? Didn't you know I had to be busy with my father's house? Friends, it is a dangerous thing for a leader to have an unoccupied heart. And not just unoccupied by the presence of God, but unoccupied with the purposes of God. And I've seen some guys try and, try and claw their way back, and they're, they're happy to be occupied with the presence of God, but they don't want to be occupied with the purposes of God. That little word, friends, is so key. And if we will sweep our house, friends, properly, allowing ourselves to be made naked, if that's what it requires, and if we will put the stuff in order, and if then we will say, Lord, occupy my heart. The glory of the latter will exceed the glory of the former. Point number four is expect differently. Expect differently. I got stuck on this one. Hads are now leading a small church in a small town. You can ride your motorbikes and the neighbors don't complain. And you can know everybody's name in the church. 
And then we found ourselves in a distant land called Peter Maritzburg. And as this second chance, as the calling is reawakened inside, I'm dreaming of that. I'm dreaming of that. I'm expecting that if, Lord, if you're restoring my calling, that it's going to look like that. It's going to be a nice little small town where I know everybody's name. Friends, the calling came back, but it looked differently. Don't limit the restoration of God in your life by making it look the same as it was before. It can look very different. Does that make sense? So just to reiterate those, <clears throat> those four points. Look carefully, friends. Your calling is still there. If you're leading people, their calling is still there. Number two, live vulnerably. Let your heart feel again. Number three, guys, repent properly. Repent properly. Number four, expect differently. Can I end by saying this? For us in this context as leaders, I think that for every single one of us here, apples of gold, settings of silver, this God-designed calling. And you know, you know when your wife falls pregnant and, and you get that, the first scan? Uh, let's be honest, guys. It looks like a mess. Okay? But then you get scan number two, scan number three, scan number four, and it begins to take shape. Calling is like that. In the beginning, it's just, I'm pregnant. I don't know what the heck it is, but I'm pregnant. And slowly, as you... As you Allow your heart to be occupied. The calling grows. And as, you, as the Holy Spirit brings the calling, the next thing that happens is gets clarity. You begin to get some clarity of what this calling looks like. And as it gets clarity, conviction begins to take place inside you. Oh God, you've called me to this thing. And conviction gives rise to courage. And courage is what our sheep follow. I have no idea how to end. But I'm finished. <laughs>